Hey everyone, Zach here from the Poorly Written Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to make a quick note that we had to censor out one of the names used in the episode. We don't have permission to use the name and we are protecting the identity of the person. So if you hear a censored beep go off, that's why. Thank you guys so much for listening and continuing to support the podcast. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Poorly Written Podcast, the only podcast on the internet where nothing makes any sense. Welcome to episode three. I am joined by Nick and Hannah from episodes one and two, but we got a couple of special guests coming up later in this. Hannah, that wasn't your cue. Oh, I was just celebrating. I'm sorry. You're celebrating. Uh, (laughs) We've made it this far. We have made it to episode three. I don't know why Hannah's celebrating that, Mark, but... um... Yeah, that's what's going on. I didn't think we'd make it past episode one, my dude, so... Honestly, two got kind of rough. (laughs) Right. It got kind of rough a little bit. I mean, uh... Tensions were high. Tensions were high. Hannah pulled out a can of sardine oil, so you know some shit was about to go down. I cannot confirm nor deny that I killed my husband. Um, well, I I barely knew him, so it's okay. Oh, I mean... I didn't either, because I wasn't married. Boom! <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Roasted, she has a wifey instead. I wish I wish my humor was a little bit better today. I'm getting pretty tired during all this quarantine crap. Yeah, Hannah's tired of my bullshit. But good news, we have a fun that episode too. plan. <laughs> good news, we have a fun episode plan for all you we sports do. fans. That's right, I said it. Sports. Spell that sports. shit out. Yeah, sports. S-P-O-R-T-S. Sports. Oh, congratulations. You won the spelling bee. Oh, good. Uh, I'm glad I could beat Another those... sport. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could beat all those middle school children in the national spelling bee. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. What are we off, up to? We're already off topic, and we're barely, like, five minutes in, so we need to get back. Yep. So today we are talking about amateur sports. Okay. <laughs> we should probably introduce our guest before yeah, we decide to do in- something else okay before i say anything else that's just completely off topic or weird uh i'm gonna introduce the first guest uh our first guest today is anthony feathers or better known as tony feathers tony say hi you know zach i would say hi but you forgot to mention that i am actually the third long-lost member of the band loggins and messina I've never heard of that band, but I'll take your word for it. I wow. fact checked everything on the internet, and everything on the internet has to be true. Oh, absolutely. Or why else absolutely. would they the internet? Absolutely. It also says I'm a track and field runner in Michigan, so. Woo. That was on the yeah. that was on the Wikipedia Michigan page for like two seconds. <laughs> yeah, I was like state champion for two seconds. It felt great. So, we're talking about amateur sports, and Tony's our first guest for today. Now, Tony, if I'm correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, you did some amateur wrestling. Uh, well, not, not amateur, per se. Uh, it all depends, really, though, on your definition of amateur, because um, there's two types of wrestling, as we all know. There's 
Greco wrestling, the mat style of wrestling, and then there's uh, professional wrestling. Yes. Uh, professional wrestling being the one that I used to do. All right, so we're not doing Olympic style wrestling where they have a mat and a, and a leotard or whatever. I don't know. How to Precisely. It, this is professional wrestling, like WWE style. Yes. Okay. Okay, so we got that going. So that's the first topic is uh, professional wrestling. So, Nick, do you want to kick this off or do I want to kick off the questions? Or Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can. I'll, I'll, I'll just take it. Nick has a um, very good background in sports, so I'm letting him kick it off before I screw it up. Not a very good taste in wrestlers, though. <laughs> Becky Lynch. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, offended. these two always offended. go back and forth with who's who's better. Let, let me just point out that Becky Lynch has held the Rollins Championship for over a year and no, uh, also won both women's John championships. Cena, Nick. Let it go. What's wrong with that? He's a 16-time champion. That's fair. Yeah, okay. Moving on. So now that I've uh, eliminated most of the cast members in this, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Royal Rumble style, let's uh, let's start with Tony. Um, so Tony, you you obviously did some, some pro wrestling on the indie circuit as, as wrestling fans and people in the business like to call it. What promotions or promotion did you wrestle in? Uh, well, I actually wrestled... Um... I'd say three or four times, uh, not not too long, lasted about six months. I wrestled for certain promotions in Pennsylvania at an event to raise charity for cancer, I believe it was, juvenile cancer. I actually wrestled twice that night, once in the opening match in a battle royal. I was eliminated very quickly. And then later in the night, I was squashed by a man about, about twice my size named Manchild. Oh, <laughs> That's okay. impressive. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. Man-child. Man-child. Did he wear a diaper? Uh, No, but he did wear this big, like, plastic mask that, like, I thought was going to fall off any second. Okay, so he wore the diaper on his head. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> did he throw, like, a tem- temper tantrum or at any point, or...? Uh, no, but he, he did damn near throw me through the entire ring itself. Oh, two, damn. Two, All right. two 300-pound men on a ring that was very poorly assembled. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that indie circuit wrestling ring. I, I appreciate his honesty with how the structure is. As for the, uh, the two other matches I wrestled, they were for Ultimate Wrestling here in New York, owned by uh, Mr. Terry Cadillac, a very, very nice man. One match, it was a Royal Rumble. I did... I did all right in there. I didn't get any eliminations, but I lasted longer in the Battle Royal. And in the second match, it was a tag team match for the tag titles for that company. And technically, to this day, I'm still arguing it. We won that match. The rest hand counted to three, but we got cheated by the cheaters. Ooh. Oh, we're nothing without, were without they, some Were they actually cheaters or were they named the cheaters? They were actual cheaters. Oh, they were well, just actual cheaters. that's not cool. Uh, did they also play for the New England Patriots? You know, Ooh. I wouldn't be shocked if they did. Yeah, that's throwing right. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing shade. I'm calling shots. You know, that's how we roll in this episode. But uh, Cheaters I, would do I anything guess. to hold on to their belts. Yeah. Especially move to Tampa Bay. Oh. <laughs> okay. well, 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 calling right. out. Oh, you know. <laughs> before we go uh go too deep into the football scene i think i think maybe we should ask tony uh how you said you you wrestled two matches in one night i know that takes a lot of 
a lot of uh, stamina and, uh, and energy there. So, so where did you really start training and, and getting in shape for wrestling? So my training story, it's one of, uh, it's one of, it was one of heartbreak and unfortunate sorrow. A wrestling promotion opened up across the street from my house at the Finger Lakes Mall. So I thought, perfect opportunity, run by a man by the name of whatever you want to call him. The man himself is a scam artist, through and through. I trained there for approximately six months before his school closed down for not paying the rent and spending all his money on women and drugs. Oh, wow. That's oh. Does That's that a... kind of thing happen a lot? Unfortunately. Or was um... this guy just sticking out like a sore thumb and he kind of ruined the name for everybody else? is a very well-known scam artist in the area. After I stopped going to his school, a lot of people told me not to feel bad about it because his name means dirt. And that, while I did have to prove myself that I can actually go, I shouldn't feel bad because he skipped. Yeah, because I do remember uh, that wrestling school going on because I think I was still going to Cayuga at that point. Yeah, right when it opened up, we were all still there. We were all still in community college, so, you know, it was kind of a big deal. It made, like, the citizen, and, like, it spread pretty quick. How many people were going to that school? Um, so, at first, when we started off, uh, I'd say we had about five, and we very consistently kept those numbers. I was the only one who was consistent from the start of the school to the close of the school that stayed there. There, I met my two of my best friends, uh, Matt Troisi and Zach Tornado Tong. Uh, Zach was actually my tag partner. And Matt was the guy who got me booking. We great. We were the first ones to actually leave the school. Realized that was uh, was cheating us and other people out of their money. Uh, but there were other people there who would come in, um, not quite get it, and then start leaving. So um, I think my next question is like, how difficult was the training? I mean, like, there's a lot of stuff that goes into professional wrestling, but I kind of want to know how difficult was that training. Well. I don't want to sit here and say that I, I was well-trained. I wasn't trained quite well like the school in UPW trains. Uh, there's a school in Rochester, UPW. They train people amazingly. Uh, one of the AEW stars, Brody Lee, he used to train there at the school. But the training I went through, it was still very rigorous. Um, I always put on my 100% hardest. And I was I was excelled to the top of his class, and at one point he was considering putting his uh, student championship on me, but he never ran any shows again because, as we said before, he spent all his money on women and drugs. And that seems to be a case with quite a few ways of blowing money. So, uh, do we? What other questions are we thinking about, guys? Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of on a more positive note, you know, like going through something like that and actually getting to do the shows that you did how did you kind of you know pick yourself up after being in a in a down situation like that and and um kind of work with your friends to uh, i guess kind of achieve like what, what you would say probably would be a lifelong dream i guess oh, definitely well I, I never i i never really shot for the wwe levels i knew that the amount of time i wanted to do this for was just enough to have good stories to tell in the future. Um, I, I'm grateful I got the opportunity to do commentary for an event, wrestle for championships, be in battle royals and Royal Rumbles. Uh, the last gig I did, it was ring announcing. It was the most fun I think I've ever had in my life. So it, it's all about looking at back at the moments and realizing someday you can get them back if you work hard enough. 
you can excel to places you never thought you would be. I think that's a better note to go on right there. I mean, I mean, how often does wrestling not pan out for people where they do like some of their training and then they never get to like actually go into the ring? Right. It's a very sad story too often than not. Uh, back in 2015, a man in WWE by the name of Tyson Kidd, who's been working for the past 20 years, um, was just starting to find his footing in the company. But then he suffered a neck injury, and now he can no longer wrestle ever again. Yeah, and I know, I know that's happened to a few wrestlers um, on the big, the big stage in WWE, like Paige and uh, you know Edge and Daniel Bryan had similar similar injuries, but since actually have gotten to return. At least Daniel Bryan and Edge uh, with the neck injuries, but you know with. I guess technology advancing for or medical science. It seems like maybe we could see some superstars return with uh, from injuries like that. Absolutely, medical science in sports is uh, advancing so much. Nobody ever thought Daniel Bryan would be able to wrestle again. The man had many concussions in the span of just a few months, but once they discovered the new treatment to uh, leak oxygen into the brain over a period of time, he was healed and able to wrestle once again. Yeah, and he's he's on the the high level, and as well, Ed just came back after nine years, and pretty cool stories for them. But I mean, we're, I know we're we're asking you questions, but uh, I, I kind of in your, I guess, career, do you have any like I know wrestling can can have some some strange moments. Do you have any weird moments or moments that really stuck out to you in your your matches? Hmm, uh, I do have a couple. The night I wrestled two matches. The first match was the Battle Royal. Um, then they did some other match. And then they got to a tag match. It was my partner, Zach Tong, with some other guy versus these two other guys. I can't remember any of them. It was a strange night. But the ring was poorly assembled. And during the middle of the tag match, the ring itself just started falling apart. So they had to take 30-some-odd minutes to fix the ring in its entirety. And then they tell me and Manchild we were the next ones on. We're both 330 pounds, so that's a combination of almost 700 pounds in this flimsy ring, and we're both slamming each other in it. The whole time we were thinking to ourselves, "Please don't break, please." Don't I'm sure break. that was. I'm sure that was very stressful to you, considering you're like, "Okay, I need to win this match," but you're also worried about your own safety, not just because of the one guy you're fighting, but you're worried about this this ring caving in. Absolutely. I'm Uh, sure that made it much more difficult than it should have been. But deep down in our heart of hearts, um, it's actually funny. We wanted to break the ring, too, because (laughs) for one, that would have been an amazing highlight all over social media. Two, everyone in the back did not want to be there because of how bad the ring was. So they were telling us, please break the ring. You want to have a a big show Lesnar moment. um, Absolutely. You you don't want to bring down just a roof. You want to bring down the, the ring, too, so um how were were there a lot of people in the stand for that match um in that high school gym we wrestled in there was a decent amount of i'd say maybe about 20 to 30 people which isn't too bad for a high school wrestling show and and so we we just keep interrupting each other i'm glad you didn't say walmart Because I've seen matches where they do it in, like, uh, malls or, like, you know, shopping centers and stuff. And I'm like... Oh, yeah. There's some very weird places matches have taken place. Where is the weirdest place you heard of a wrestling match happening? 
So in Japan, deathmatch wrestling over there is huge, and deathmatch wrestling anything goes. Um, one match type they actually have over there: um, the ring is put on a flotation device and floated out into a body of water. The ropes are replaced with barbed wire, and outside in the water, there are makeshift explosives, not powerful enough to injure somebody, just enough to stun. So it sounds like it's Mortal Kombat. All That's over insane. There. That is oh, yeah. nuts. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. So that sounds like one of the worser places of wrestle. I mean, it sounds entertaining when it's regular, but then it's like, hey, we're going to put you on a flotation device in this body of water with no rings, but like with no uh, siding. But instead, if you touch the siding, you're going to hurt yourself. Certainly. Uh, Japanese deathmatch wrestling is, uh, there's two sides to it. There's the funny side where, wrestlers will choreograph scenes with children have the children beat them up um i've seen one wrestler actually wrestle a blow-up doll before but then you have the opposite where uh you have these matches that go long grueling hours bloody battered cuts everywhere uh it's very grueling sometimes but what i want to know is who won in that one match the the real person or the blow-up doll you know, I actually believe the Blow-Up Doll won, and the Blow-Up Doll has a pretty impressive record in Japan. Really? All right. Blow-Up Doll for the win. <laughs> like, I don't I don't want to know what the exact winning record is, but, like, what percentage? Like, what would you give the Blow-Up Doll? I would say maybe 100% win. Okay. Uh, okay, a perfect 100. Undefeated. All right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say to that, because I never thought a Blow-Up Doll could be part of a wrestling match, but here we are. <laughs> right we've hit the pinnacle of civilization this is it this is the peak we're going downhill from here yoshihiko is a, is a very impressive wrestler i'm sure about that too uh hannah i know you wanted to ask tony a question yeah we've we've talked about quite a handful of your memories and moments from doing this what is one of your favorite memories oh one of my favorite memories um i'd have to say the royal rumble i worked in because the night didn't start off too great. Um, I was I was doing some training before the show started. I didn't have my proper gear on, no socks, no shoes, and I was I was climbing out of the ring over the top rope. I whabbed my foot up against a metal bar on the ring, and there was a big bruise on my foot. So I had that going into the match. This um, doesn't sound like a very fond memory. I, I'm I'm gonna get to the fun part. <laughs> Let him get to oh, the okay, fun okay. part. We'll get there when we get there. So <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> but once the rumble started, um, it, it was a bit shaky at first because some people weren't there because of injuries. So numbers were getting bumped up. And I'm nervous as I'm getting out there. If you know a Royal Rumble, it starts out two men. Every 90 seconds, another man enters. So my turn's coming up. I'm in the back getting ready with my friend Zach, my friend Isaiah. And my music hits. The Bomb.com version 2.0 by Sleeping With Sirens. And... Just running out there, hearing the ring announcer say, The bomb.com, Anthony Feathers. It, it just hits you. And you're in, you're like in another place and you're another person at that moment. That sounds that and actually sounds really good. So that was gonna I was gonna ask another question about about uh, indie I know indie wrestling sometimes doesn't have the biggest of audiences, but uh, you kinda were going at it there, like when your music hits and you, and you get to do your entrance is that kind of i don't know just kind of give you a, a big adrenaline rush and you kind of don't don't notice the the size of the crowd or 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 anything like that you just kind of perform 
Uh, well, well, it all really depends. Um, what, in the tag match, the entrance I made, um, me and my friend Zach, we came out to uh, Can You Feel My Heart by Bring Me the Horizon. And we were wearing leather, we were wearing, wearing denim, and we just had the crowd staring at us this entire time, not knowing what to think. First impressions are a big thing. I, I will say we blew that first impression because... Zach is she sweats a lot in the ring, <laughs> and I was flossing on the apron, so not not too in sync there, not too great. Just haven't worked out the kinks on the uh the intro just as much as uh the training, right? I mean, like, how often do you get a chance to like sit down and like kind of plan out your intro versus like the wrestling that you actually plan on doing? Now that's a very good question. Um, I'd say more moments than not. You're thinking about what you're going to do to have the crowd cheering or booing you. What your entrance is going to be. What kind of uh, ways you're going to rile the audience up. What are you going to say? At, le- at least that was the case for me. Not too often was I ever thinking about um, what I need to do in the ring. But that for most indie wrestlers, that's what they do. Because you want to get noticed. You want to get signed by one of the big companies. So you want to make your character work and your movesets something nobody's ever seen before and this is a business that's been going on for hundreds of years so you've pretty much seen everything at this point so you have to be impressive and stand out and uh in doing that um i know for for those who don't know usually heel is considered a bad guy face being a good guy what is your favorite thing to do be heel or face and who kind of do you model yourself after doing that that's a good question um I guess it really all depends on where you are and where you're working for. Um, sometimes it's great to be, you know, the good guy, the underdog, like Daniel Bryan, Chris Benoit was, um, Bret Hart, Rey Mysterio. Uh, you want to be that underdog that can go in, get the crowd on your side, cheering for you. But in the inverse, it's also so much fun to be the bad guy. Uh, the Miz, Dolph Ziggler, JBL. The Rock, so many amazing talkers that would just go out there, insult a crowd. One of my favorite inspirations today, King Corbin. He's just a normal guy. He's, he's not really a standout athlete, but because of the way he talks, there are people who legitimately hate him, which is hard to do nowadays because of social media. Yeah, and I know I know there's guys that are good heels and, and ladies that are good heels as well. Like, like you have... Um like MJF and AEW, I know is a pretty big bad guy in that scene as well. MJF, he's a very impressive kid. Uh, I got the chance to meet him once. He's exactly how he acts on TV. Really, that's that's pretty interesting because he's he's a pretty interesting face. If you just or a heel rather, if you look him if you look him up on online or you watch AEW, he's got definitely a an old school heel character going Flipping on. Flipping off kids, making fun of people in wheelchairs. He's Oh, wow. He's got no boundaries. Yeah, he goes all in. I didn't realize what these terms really meant. And Yeah, guys, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot all of a sudden. Uh, apparently, wrestlers can be dick to uh, children and the disabled and get away with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's just nuts. That's just crazy to me. Because if you see that in like any other like professional sport, like I'll just take NFL for an example. If you saw like a like a guy like Tom Brady flipping off kids and like making fun of people in wheelchairs, he'd be crucified. Oh, Twitter would eat him alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, another yeah. thing you can do in the WWE and AEW can't do in the NFL 
if a fan uh, jumps over the barricade, enters the ring, or anything, starts harassing you, they get beat up, no question, right on the spot. That sounds like open season right there. Yeah. Hey, as soon as they come into the ring, that's it. They're part of the match now. Yeah, One of my I'm, favorite I'm... examples, a year or two ago, at an event call, uh, for MLW, the world champion, Jacob Fatu, a big, burly Samoan man, was doing his thing, and a fan came up from nowhere and pushed him, and he beat the ever-living daylights out of this man. <laughs> yeah. Think... Uh, I'm aware that um, it's it's a well-known rule that fans are never supposed to go beyond the barricade. I know there's another example uh, on the WWE scene that kind of blew up Twitter a little bit ago with the Hall of Fame thing and, and Bret Hart. And, oh, yes. Uh, that guy got knocked out by Dash Wilder, who's no longer with WWE now, but he was in the Revival. And, uh, yeah, he was. it was open season on that guy as well. So definitely don't but, jump over the barricade. So I have a thought. Sure. I have a thought. So what if, in theory, a fan went to one of these events, had his own costume underneath his clothes, do you think he could jump the barricade, rip off the clothes, and then declare himself a new wrestler? Probably not. He'd probably get beaten down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying. I get like I got my mind was wandering when you said, "Yeah, but, uh, fans are like you know part of the damage as soon as they get over like the barrier." And I'm like, I, I I'm definitely sorry. think that's a big difference between what Tony's doing and like the WWE, since it's the more of a a smaller thing. Like there's not like a disclosure agreement when you buy your ticket and like terms of use and. And all those things. So, like, if somebody just gets up on the ring and was like, I want to wrestle, I'm sure security's going to be like, uh, buddy, you're on crack. Please leave the facility. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, how dare you just assume people are on crack? There's meth, too, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, but right, you know what's right. a, a great statistic against. to make? What? Um, 90% of wrestlers, this goes for people in WWE big companies, 90% of wrestlers smoke pot. That's not, I'm not surprised Actual by statistic. that. Yeah, that doesn't shock me much. Part either. of its pain, part of its fame. I mean, I understand for either, so it doesn't matter. Because like, right. more sports are becoming more accepting of marijuana use, as like states are starting to like legalize it for recreational and medical use. So I think it makes sense that like you know athletes are like using it, especially if they live in a state where it's like perfectly legal. But it's also up to the leagues and stuff to make sure, like, you know, what are rules regarding the use of marijuana? Well, I know Tony, we talked was about... that a... Well, go ahead, Nick. All right. I know we talked about injuries. And, and in the indie, the indie scene, anyone who really watches knows that there's a, a big difference in, like, the, the, I guess the risk that... Not that, that, both, that the bigger companies don't take risk with what they do, but indie's kind of more out there into what they're willing to actually do which i assume could cause some more pain and uh than than the professional or the higher professional leagues uh yes there's a a lot more risk for injury um injury is still a very big thing in wwe you only get 90 days off a year to see your family birthdays uh holidays you're missing those so it's very strenuous on the body um the independents are no different um I've seen a lot of people on the independents do things nobody in WWE would even risk. Direct chair shots to the head, falling onto steel ladders, people jumping over the top rope onto bare concrete like it's nothing. That's just crazy. What what would possess some of these people to do something that's like 
even in the sense of wrestling, that's just straight out, like, not safe to do. Attention. The more immediate clicks you get, the better chances you have to wrestle with places like MLW, AEW, uh, TNA, WWE. That sounds awfully risky. Yeah, I know. I know I've seen a few. Like, I guess Lucha Underground was one that was kind of like, I guess, kind of put the indie type wrestling or independent type wrestling on as kind of a, a bigger showcase, I guess. Yeah, it was on the El Rey Network. I know I remember watching a few matches and they had like a, a death match and dudes like went through glass. Like, uh, like they went through glass like they would go through a table. It's pretty crazy. That's uh, a good example I like to use is... uh. I think it was about maybe two or three years ago. It was Ace Romero versus Rochester native Anthony Nicometti. And they were running across the ropes. Uh, Ace Romero, he's 400, 500 pounds. And he just tackles Anthony Nicometti so far that he goes flying from one side of the ring all the way out the other onto the floor. Wow. That's got to be a big impact there. Was that a pun intended or... Very much so. Because <laughs> he's just like, oh, that's a big impact. I'm like, uh, literally or figuratively? Because it could be both. So I think we're good on questions unless somebody else had any more questions. Uh, I'll just... I'll um, just uh, okay, go ahead, Anna. Uh, no. <laughs> she's, she's just like, no, Nick, you go. I'm an independent woman. I'll go when I want to. Right. <laughs> I'll go whenever I want. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was just gonna, I was gonna have one to to end on a positive note, I guess, or try to at least. But um, I was just gonna say, like, uh, one last question would be like, why overall, uh, why did you become a wrestling fan in the first place, and how did that kind of inspire you to actually try it? So. For most people, they'll say, you know, Triple H, Stone Cold, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit. The people that actually got me into wrestling, it's kind of embarrassing, but it was actually a few gimmicks. Wade Barrett, when he first debuted with his group, The Nexus, I thought they were the coolest thing since sliced bread because they're coming in, these rookies, and beating down the establishment that had been keeping people like them down for so long. And Cody Rhodes, when he was doing his dashing gimmick, because he would always come out, and give these beauty tips, call people ugly, put paper bags over their heads. It just stuck out to me. It's like, wow, this is some great character work. Eventually, what got me into wanting to do wrestling was um, the rise of NXT in 2015. This developmental brand becoming a global phenomenon that just draws people in. The de- People saying the developmental brand for WWE is better than the stars on WWE's main roster. Yeah, and that's it's definitely evident um, in social media and, and things like that today. I mean, as a wrestling fan myself, I started out watching guys like Rey Mysterio and Batista and Triple H and them and The Undertaker and always thought they were cool. And then I kind of took a little hiatus, and when I came back to wrestling, there was NXT, and that's definitely one of my favorite things. It's It's very different. And uh, it's kind of wild that the the brand that was actually the developmental brand of, of WWE is kind of the one that's competing head to head with AEW, which Absolutely. actually has some of the guys who used to be uh, in WWE. Absolutely, uh, NXT just creates stars. All right, Hannah, I think you had a question to end on. I I did, Tony. Um, I mean Zach and Tony. <laughs> Zach and Tony uh, and I'm, Nick. I'm. Got it. 
I'm sorry. So I was <laughs> more replying to you. Can I just ask my question? Yes. I'll try not okay. to. Okay. Tony, uh, Tony, do you have any advice for anybody that would like to go into professional wrestling or even go to like a school kind of like how you did at the Finger Lakes Mall? Like, do you just have advice for somebody who is going to step in those same shoes that you were in back in 2017? Keep your head up. Never stop working. The moment you stop working, somebody else is going to work much harder than you do and take your spot. If you don't stop, if you don't stop working, you're never going to get anywhere. If you lose that passion, you're never going to work anywhere. Keep your head up. Work as hard as you can. All right. That's a good note to end. Very good. Very good. For Tony. (laughs) Thank you, Tony, so much. I actually have a question for you guys. Is it right if I, uh, Plug some of my wrestler friends out there on the uh, independence. Um, yeah, I guess you could promote some stuff. I'd like to give a shout out to my friend Blake Schwassman, Isaiah Tyrone Johnson, and Anthony Page. You guys are some of the best wrestlers in New York State. I have no doubt you three are going to be stars in the coming years. Thank you. Woo! Round of applause for Tony's friends! Yay! Yay! We like seeing, we like you guys. We like seeing up and rising stars, especially from the state of New York. So you know we're biased. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're very <laughs> right, well, Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for Thanks, having Tony. me. I appreciate it. Thank this, you so much. So this is the first segment of the Amateur Hour episode. We just covered some semi-pro indie wrestling. Coming up in a little bit, we're going to get into another sport with another athlete. So stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Poorly Written Podcast. Are you enjoying the show? Want to have more content after the episode? Follow us online on all of our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we post behind-the-scenes, exclusive content, and more. We also post show updates and trailers for upcoming episodes. And if you enjoyed the show, tag us in your post. Find all of our links in the description down below. And welcome back to the Poorly Written Podcast. Uh, Thanks for tuning in after the break in a podcast, even though you can just skip right over it. We are But what's the fun in that? What's the fun in skipping that break? Anyways, we are back with the second segment of the Amateur Hour episode. We have Hannah and Nick still. They're still here. He didn't get rid of us. I didn't tell you to say hi either, so... I do what I want. I know. But this time we are joined by Martin. Say hi, Martin. How you doing, guys? Now, Martin played a different uh, sport on a lower indie level. He played football instead of uh, professional-style wrestling. So we're going to get into some of that. So do I have to kick it off? Yeah, kick it uh, off. Yep. Yeah, uh, Nick started last time, so it's your turn. Yeah, it's my turn. Uh, I'm supposedly a sports guy, so... Uh, so Martin, let me just start off with this. Uh, what sport did you participate in, and what position? Uh, well, I I played football basically my whole life. Um, I'm defensive end. Um, sometimes you know I like to I like to spice it up. I'll play a little offense then and there at tight end, but defense is my main position. All right, and uh, what team did you play for? Because I know uh, some um, people might I... not know what it is. Um, I played for a couple teams. Um, my first year playing semi-pro, I played for the Auburn Commanders, but they're no longer a team. So the next year, I went to the Auburn Pride, and 
the team that kind of stuck with me now is the Charlotte Colonials, and they're located out in Rochester. All right, so he's played okay. for a few teams. I do remember the Auburn Commanders. I actually, back in community college, I went and covered one of their home games for the radio station, so. Oh, nice. That was a fun game. That was, I think you guys won like 40-something to 20-something, so. Oh, yeah, I think that was probably like one of the only games that we won that year. Yeah, <laughs> I think I remember doing my research, and I'm like, uh, we're going to cover them, but I'm not going to say the record going into this game, so. <laughs> I just I just said, I'm like, all right, the Auburn Commanders are playing. I think you, I don't remember who you were playing. It was later in the season. I want to say it was the other bad team that year. It was kind of like the toilet bowl. <laughs> it, was, it was like the tank bowl, minus the fact that you can't, tank for draft picks so nope it was basically we were just playing for who was the trashiest team the loser was the trashiest team who was the trashiest team and i just didn't say the record before i started it i'm just oh no we respect that we respect it was like the it was like your home team auburn commanders are taking on so-and-so looking to get the w today so i was neutral about it too i didn't want to just flat out say that like both teams sucked oh yeah but I do remember the Auburn Commanders. Those were some of the coolest uniforms I had seen. Oh, I got my jersey hanging up on my wall right now. Well, I've made sure go. I had to keep that. Well, there you go. There you go. A nice little collection going on for Martin. So, so that's kind of your background on like amateur football and like teams you played for. Um. Well, actually, last year I did play in an all-star game. Um, I was on Team World because I missed the cut for Team uh, America. So we went ahead and down at uh, Philadelphia last year, and I played on a All-Star game against Team America. We wound up losing 7-6, to six, but that's can't really lie, it was one of the best experiences of my life. That's a really low-scoring game. Oh, it was straight defense all game. That's we, a I guess we, game. We were the only team that, I guess, took it to Team America like we did, even though we lost. Yeah, like you don't hear a lot of football games decided by one point in single digits. So, right. And our touchdown was a defensive touchdown. Our offense wasn't helping us whatsoever that game. All right. So, you know, the defense was really pulling their weight on that day. So, that was kind of my opening question. It's like your background and stuff. Uh, Nick, you got a yeah. question? Yeah. Um, going back to kind of the start, you know, uh, choosing to play defensive end or tight end. Are there any players growing up that you watched that kind of inspired you to play those positions? Um, one player I can say that helped me, like, inspire to play the defensive end position are probably three. One being J.J. Watt, the defensive end for the Houston Texans. Then me being a Steelers fan would have to be Brett Kiesel, the beard. And then one more is probably right now he played college, actually, at the University of Buffalo. That would be Khalil Mack. Of course, great, great uh, defensive players there. That's a, a lot good, of that's a good selection. So, and I cut off Nick. So, oh, that's all right. Yeah, so <laughs> there's a lot of good defensive players. And um, yeah, did you? Did you oh, another question I have is uh, playing on a few different teams. Did you ever get a chance to play with or be coached by anybody who played professionally at the highest level? Um, quite a few. But I mainly got more of that exposure to the coaching by pro-level coaches when I went down to Philly and played that all-star game. Because I teamed up with a bunch of players that were in pro leagues that actually played in the NFL. 
And the fact that I was matching up with them and playing just as good as most of those pro players, I mean, it made me feel good where I stood at as a player itself. Now, that's got, that's got to be something to be attested to, where you're kind of able to hang with, like, you know, guys who are playing at what some would say, like, the highest level of professional football. Oh, definitely. So, and um, after that whole pro game, I actually wound up getting a pro tryout with the CFL team in Canada, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and that was a good experience as well. Now, a lot of people don't realize that the CFL has a lot of different rules from, like, the NFL and even some NCAA differences. Oh, yeah. Because I've they, um. Oh, go ahead. It's, uh, it's wild because their end zones are actually a lot different than the pro-level leagues. I mean, if you make one wrong turn, I believe, in the CFL league, you can probably wind up hitting this freaking helmet right on the goalpost. So, some context for that. Uh, their goalposts are at the start of the end zone, not at the back. Yes. So that was the way it was for a long time until the like until the NFL changed that. So it was that way for quite a while, and then they're like, "Hey, why don't we put it behind so people don't get hurt?" Oh yeah. I it's worked out well for the NFL. I I guess. I mean, like no one was hurting themselves on the goalposts, just each other. So. Right. Yeah. Now they're more more worried about everyone hurting each other. Now that's why they're coming out with all the safety rules to protect the players, which hey, I'm all for it. I mean, safety is a top priority because, like, those guys are – if you don't have the ball, you're literally wailing on each other. Trying Definitely. to get to the guy with the ball. So that's kind of a big thing there. And that's really a big thing. Oh, yeah. But I know the CFL has a bunch of different other rules and stuff. Like, you can have, you can have like, a guy in motion. Yep. And, like, two guys in motion. There is all these different rules and stuff. I don't want to go into that can of worms because that would, that would take up quite a while to figure out and explain <laughs> But that's pretty cool that you got to like try out for uh, a professional level team, even though it's like it's in Canada. It's a different like set of rules and stuff, but you know the principles are still there. Oh yeah, it was a great experience, and I was glad I was able to be a part of it. That's definitely a really cool experience to go out against Team USA and stuff. I kind of want to like have you dive into that a little bit more because that's very interesting. Like, how did you? Uh, when did you get the call for that? What was your reaction? Okay, so I wound up because I had a few teammates that actually went to the event in uh, Canada where they went against Team Canada, and it, it intrigued me. So I went ahead and I messaged the Team USA page to see if they um had any open spots. They didn't have any spots, so they wound up emailing me a spot for Team World. I didn't know how that was going to work, so I went – I. Paid for, I paid the fee to play for the team because I know paying the fee, I was getting a lot out of it. And um, they gave me the, um, the address, which was in Philly. So I went down to Philly. I practiced for three days. And the coaching staff for Team World was actually my coaching staff for Rochester. And with them coaching me down in Philly, it was the main reason I wanted to play for them in Rochester last year because they definitely cared about the players and – they were definitely trying to get the players better so they get them at the next level. But it was um the experience down in Philly was good. Playing for Team World was one of the best experiences I've had. Um, they were gonna actually put me at defensive tackle until they saw how I was playing at defensive end. So a lot was like going fast and everything was high speed. It was more high speed than an actual normal semi pro game that I've ever played in. That's actually that's very interesting that that came up, so 
glad you got that experience because it sounds like it was a really good experience to have. Yeah, is that has that experience kind of opened any more doors for you, or just kind of improved your game overall? Um, it's definitely improved my game overall. Um, coming into the semi-pro league, I I came in I think at the right young age of eighteen, and I was kind of just like I never really understood the fundamentals more. But doing the team world and playing more in the league, I've gotten more fundamentally sound, and I'm more aware of how to play my position and get better at it. And I, I was getting actually really ready, getting pumped up in the gym almost every day. And then with the whole virus and quarantine, it's been affected my workout regimen a little bit, but I've made sure to work my way around and try to get some good workouts in that way I can stay fresh for the season. That's definitely a hard time right now during quarantine and stuff, uh, you know, because gyms are closed and everything. So I'm glad you're able to stay up on your workout regimen. Because I know that could be very hard, so. I know I'm not. <laughs> Hannah, you didn't have not one that before. I'm for... Listen, you don't know that. Maybe I did a light jog to the refrigerator and then back to my bed. You don't know. Yeah, a light jog to grab a beer and back. <laughs> you know me. You get me. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Martin, um, I have a few questions. Um, I know you've been playing for a long time, so this might be very hard to narrow down to one or even two. Can you give us your um your favorite memory, a weird memory, and your worst memory? All right, so it's hard to narrow it down for my favorite memory, but um, oh, I'm sure. If I had to do it, I would probably say it would be um when I played for the Albert Pride. I actually got a sack on defense, but it wasn't your normal sack, and I actually got a picture of it. I wound up sacking the quarterback by basically getting him into a chokehold and my teammate held his legs. And the picture shows the offensive lineman just looking at their quarterback getting sacked. And it is the most priceless thing that I've ever done in my football. Is putting a, a player into a chokehold allowed? Like, I've never played football, so I don't know. So someone tell me if this is allowed or not. Only if the cameras well, aren't looking. Oh, okay. I, I had him in a cold, but I was trying to bring him down, and he was definitely fighting it. And I wound up getting him down, but their offensive line was mad. I don't know why they were mad because they should have done their best to protect the court. I hated playing offensive linemen in high school. I really did. It was more fun to play defense. Oh, for sure. Because you could just, uh, you know, beat up on the linemen, and then if you were able to get through, the quarterback was all yours. If, oh yeah. If you didn't fall for any jukes or anything, so I. I, I love the expression of, like, beating an offensive lineman on his face more than I do, you know, like, being an offensive lineman. And um, I would probably say for my worst experience, I mean, it's a toss-up between semi-pro and high school, actually. But if I had to choose, it would probably be high school. My senior year playing, we played against uh, Fayetteville Manulis. We were dominating the game hardcore and – um they wound up taking away a big touchdown that would have wound up having us beat them. And it would have gave us a better seating in the playoffs instead of playing number one CBA that had, I believe six D one players going to college. So that was probably the most bone crushing football memory I hold on to. Yeah. I mean, let's all give a huge boo to Fayetteville. Boo. Boo. Uh, Cause I know the, uh, I know that. <laughs> I know that uh, uh, the uh, section double A pretty well because I played in Baldwinsville, 
So, oh, did they always flip our ass? Yeah, we always go there and we're like, yeah, we're playing Auburn, but like, are we really That's playing Auburn? <laughs> are, we, it, are we really? It was one point. They Is just there took a rivalry off. happening in the poorly written podcast? No, not really. I mean, no, I'm just making sure that there's going to be no bad blood when this comes out. We were more. Oh, no. there's, there's no rivalry when you're getting your ass kicked by Ballinsville every fucking year. Every single year, <laughs> even with like the really bad team. Y'all would have that one really good white running back that would just fucking kill us, and we would just sit on the sideline and all like, "What the fuck's going on?" Would it, would it <laughs> help you that they were all related? <laughs> you know what? I was starting to wonder that. <laughs> they all have the same moves, the same speed, the same acceleration. They were all brothers, so for like six years straight, like the second string running back or the third down running back would be like, one person from this family. That's got to be one proud father. Um, one. I think the dad father. ran track and field in college, so, you know, it kind of... Dang! <laughs> yeah, that sounds It's believable. in their blood! But, like, when I played, Auburn would be on the schedule, and we'd get there, and before halftime, we would be up, like, 25-plus points. Oh, and at that point, we've already checked out because we're already thinking about the Denny's trip after the game. Yeah, you guys were thinking about the Denny's trip. We had the bus ride home, so, you know, we had, like, the 50-minute bus ride home. Oh, yeah, we were. We would either go to McDonald's or Denny's after the game, and then we would just bitch about how much we fucking hate Bowenville and hate their fucking guts. Yeah, but nobody yeah. hated FM and CBA more than we did. Ooh, I, that's a toss-up. I would want to say we, we definitely hated FM's guts. Oh, we hated FM, too. So, you know, but, like, CBA was, like, a whole nother level because they denied us uh, so many times, so. But enough enough petty stuff. That was, like, (laughs) sorry, I got triggered by that. I remember all these, like, feelings and memories and, like, just absolutely. So another another one I asked was weird moments. Like, was there anything, like, a fan did in the stands during one of your games where everybody was like, oh, what's going on? Or, like. Um, let's see. Anything out of the ordinary that threw everybody off, or? Um, I want to say, uh, I believe it was my Auburn Commanders game, and this is weird, but actually, I won't even say me. I won't even say a football experience that I played in. I want to say experience that I went and saw. That, um, that works. It was a game in Rochester. Um, I believe it was the Monroe County Sting versus the Lockport Wildcats. The game I think was close. But the game wound up actually stopping because I believe the owner of the team drove a tow truck on the field, and that caused the game to stop. <laughs> I believe it was really something of a blizzard coming. It was that fucking wild. That's nuts. That is insane. Like, like, are you like? It's a, that much of a worry that you got to make a distraction and stop the game. That's <laughs> that is. Could you imagine point. that man's thought process as <laughs> the game is going on? Like, how am I going to make a distraction big enough so I can throw off the other team? I know, tow truck. I know. <laughs> I know. We just tow talked about the, field, the game ended, and everyone's like backing each other up, and they fucking laughed. It was the most funny thing. <laughs> I, I know we just got done talking about wrestling, but all I could think of is Vince McMahon driving a, a truck down to try to pull the hell in a cell down. It reminds me of that same thing during the middle of a match. That's that's wild. It's like if you're but, yeah. out of timeouts, that's the perfect way to get another timeout. 
by just driving the tow truck onto the field. They probably went to the playbook and they're like, well, coach, this isn't part of the playbook. Ah, just about it. <laughs> he just goes to the water boy. He's like, look, I got a tow truck and we're out of timeouts. You know what to do. And he's like, yeah, I know the playbook. <laughs> Martin, did you say this was the commanders? Um, no, this was actually two Rochester teams. This wasn't even a team I played on. I was just, I was just a fan in the stands. He was a bystander. I was going to say, could you imagine that being in the Auburn Citizen if somebody just brought a, a tow truck onto the one of the Auburn field? It's oh, I probably would have bought my phone and started recording. <laughs> oh, it, would, it would be, it wouldn't be easy to get down in a like Holland Stadium or something like that, but it, it's not impossible, so. Oh, no. And the funny thing is, this, the league that I play in, there's always, like, we have a huge trash talk thing. This is, like, private from, like, everyone else. And all the players will sit there and talk smack. But when it comes down to it, we all respect each other. And we'll share these funny-ass moments all the time. And this tow truck incident comes up, like, once every year. And it just kills us every time. <laughs> That's just a crazy thought process. Like, I would have never thought the way to get a distraction done would be with a tow truck. Usually, like, someone running onto the field streaking or something. That's usually my first go-to is, like, the game stopped for, like, you know, like, outside reason. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, like, someone Honestly, this is the, the best play I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it was genius. Throw, throw a jersey on the tow truck and you got a new running back, so. <laughs> hey, I'll sign him. <laughs> <laughs> so... That, that was so weird. I I lost my train of thought. That was just yeah. Everybody's thrown off by the tow truck. <laughs> this sounds like a Florida man story, but like it happened in Rochester. So I mean, Rochester, Florida. No difference. No difference. <laughs> no, no, really. <laughs> Sorry to all my uh, Rochester people, but uh, no difference between you and Florida. So oh, I respect my Rochester fam out there. They know oh, they man. fucking bust my balls all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so. You said you played for a few different teams. You played for the yep. Commanders, you played for the Auburn Pride, and now you're out of the team in Rochester. Just this is like a really like simple question. Maybe not simple, but like what made you decide to like leave Auburn Pride and go to like Rochester? See, I've only shared this story or the whole thought process with a few of my close friends, but Ooh, I mean, exclusive. <laughs> you know, I guess um after that year, I mean, I was already having a pretty rough year that year with everything going on in my personal life. So playing football with Auburn Pride was definitely a good way to get back on track. Um, I played the whole season with them. I actually wound up posting a career high in sacks and tackles and even fumbles. And I wound up not getting an all-star team to make the all-star team. And I guess that kind of like made me mad because I saw a lot of players on there that didn't deserve it more than I did. And um, at the award ceremony, I got snubbed too for the Pride Award, which is, you know, just basically like being all about the team and shit. But the thing is, out of all the players that were in that whole banquet, I went to every practice, I busted my butt, and I came to every game. And I got snubbed for that. And I guess that kind of like boiled in my blood. And I was thinking about coming back to the Auburn Pride. I really was. And then after playing that all-star game in Philly and it, seeing the Rochester coaches and them talking to me, I told them that I would stay in contact with them because at least I have another option if I want to leave Auburn. Yeah. And then 
after the All-Star game, they never mentioned me playing in the All-Star game. They mentioned my other teammate they played in it, but they never mentioned me once about playing in it. So I hit up Charlotte's coach, and I told him, you know what? I'll meet you at, I believe it was Parker's in Geneva. We met up in Parker's. We had lunch. We sat. We just bitched about football. And next thing I know, I signed the contract, and I became a colonial just like that. Just like that. So I guess for the people, like, you know, because I guess respect goes a long way, especially for players. And, like, producing, I think, is a big thing, too, that goes into it, too. Like, if you're producing but not getting the respect, you feel like you need to go where you are respected even at like this level yeah because we see guys in like the nfl sometimes in the ncaa but it's mostly the nfl like i i think stefan Diggs is a really uh recent example of this where he's like i'm not being respected in minnesota i want to leave he goes to buffalo where he knows he's going to be a top guy so it seems like no matter what the level is if you're not getting, re- the, getting the respect that you deserve then you, you're gonna blue oh yeah and another great example, I mean, it's a pretty noticeable name, Tom Brady. You wouldn't expect a guy like that to leave a place he called home for 20 years. Absolutely. And he leaves He leaves New England to go to Tampa Bay. He calls it Tampa Bay now, and he's already done Florida man shit more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I got some Florida stories, but I'm not getting into that today. So, But, like, yeah, no, because Tom Brady kind of had that same thing where he's like, I'm not – He's like, I could still play, but I'm not being built around. So, and now all of a sudden he's in Tampa Bay. He's, he's getting... a six-time champ, and he wasn't getting treated like it. Exactly. Yeah, I, think... yeah, I, I would have assumed after. I mean, not that I'm a big Tom Brady fan, but I would have assumed after all these years and all these Super Bowl wins, he would be so highly respected. And wh- when he left the team to go to Tampa Bay, I think it threw a lot of NFL fans off. But now that I've looked more into it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, if you're not being appreciated, you gotta go. Well, I, th- yeah. I think I think a lot of that has to do with the kind of the just the Belichick system in New England. I mean, it's a system where you can come there, no matter if you're drafted, undrafted, you know, no matter who you are, and if you perform, you're going to be treated equally. And when you have guys like Gronk and Brady that that have won many Super Bowls, they've done everything they can there, and they're I guess it's time for them, you know, for the back half of their career to go somewhere where they can be kind of coveted for what they've done. I I get that, but at the same time, Tom Brady is even faster than he was when he started. Have you like if you look at his records, like he's still at the top of his game at what, 41, 42? He's still pretty good, but the problem is, is his age, but we're not going to get into like all that craziness about like Tom Brady, but it's another example where it's like if you're not given the respect no matter how much you produce, you're going to go somewhere where you feel respected. And I'm going to be quite frankly honest with everyone. I was more surprised he went to Tampa Bay than he did leaving the New England Patriots. I think it was a good move for him to go to Tampa. I mean, he's going to be playing in warmer weather, and he's already got built weapons with Mike Evans and I believe it's um, – what's his name? I, his number – Godwin, yep, Chris Godwin. And um and he got Grog. I mean, that's like it a quarterback. It was honestly a very smart career move. It was a smart – I really thought he was going to move out west to, like, the Chargers. But then, you know, Tampa made the right move. And they I guess they might have – Bruce Arian has a really good plan for Tom Brady. Otherwise, he wouldn't even consider them. So, but I'm not going to dive too much into it because I have several opinions on NFL stuff going on. 
with all this quarantine going on, my brain just keeps yeah, running Yeah, I think off. we all do. We have extra time to think, and I have sports opinions, but this is not the place for that. But I had... Oh, Nick, did you have a question? Yeah, I was going to lead into one, actually, kind of using the NFL, but... Do it. So, the NFL draft just happened. You know, one of the things um, that people look at, other than, you know, the teams that people go to, are kind of just... You're seeing a lot of different players, a lot of different sizes and, and weight and, like, just kind of strengths that people can do. What is the... Or who is, rather, the biggest or strongest player that you've ever played against or with? Well, I'd say the the fastest player that I think I've ever played with would have to be uh, definitely be my boy, um, Keyson Cannon. Um, I wound up playing with the Auburn Pride with him. And the minute he got an open field, like, the Jets would go on and he would be absolutely gone. Um, he was actually a big part in the reason why we went to the playoffs in our first year. And I, I consider him to be, like, one of the fastest players I know. The biggest person, um, I think, would have to be when I had my brief coaching stint with Port Byron. And um, I actually wound up dapping him up because he was actually, if you ever seen the Blindside movie, this dude was literally, like, a carbon copy of the Blindside. And oh I never Lord. seen him. Yes. Oh, my yeah. Lord, yeah. Oh, wow. This man was, like... I think he was pushing, like, almost seven foot. I had to, like, get a stool to, like, look at him. And I'm 6'3". That's <sighs> Being bigger in football isn't necessarily better, but, like, that's definitely a challenge in itself. To cover, to cover a guy that's I've been, I've been against some big dudes. I've won against people that are old enough to be my father. It's a crazy league out there. <laughs> i didn't even think about like the age stuff going on into like this uh uh indie leagues and these uh semi-pro and like amateur leagues so i'm gonna bring it into a backtrack a little bit so you mentioned you switching from like auburn pride going out to become a colonial heard other stories like that where like someone just moves so like maybe like a nearby like a nearby city another metropolis area because how crazy is that kind of like free agency, this level of football? Okay, so we, um in the league that I'm in, we signed basically one-year contracts. And after our contract or the season's over with, we all become free agents. And we're all technically free to sign wherever we want next season. Some, play, some teams will have tryouts, some teams will just have sign, and you're good to play. Uh, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Because like... There's no, like, trading or anything, as far as I'm aware, but I could be wrong. Um, There is no trading, but if you don't want to be on a team, which is kind of the situation that I was in a little bit ago, I signed a contract with this one team out in Oneida, wasn't feeling them. They were kind of hyping me up as their next big thing. I wasn't feeling it one bit because I didn't have a good supporting cast around me. So I wound up asking the owner for my release, and they wound up granting it to me. That, that's crazy. Because, like, they were hyping you up before you even uh, got on the field, I assumed. Oh, yeah. This was, like, insane. And I was just sitting back, and I looked at the roster, and I did not see a good supporting cast. And it was not attractive to me whatsoever. Yeah, and that's definitely, that's definitely a big thing because it's like, you know, like, you're playing on, like – you know, some would say a lower level, but you're playing on a level where you're playing at 
And you want to make sure that, like, you're signing to the right team. Because if you're stuck in that team for a year, then, you know, like, if it's not the right team, you're stuck there until the end yeah. of the season. They, um, I signed with them. I mean, I knew what I was going into. But I, I guess after I signed it, I had, like, second-guess feelings about it. I had to, like, sit on it for a good couple weeks. And I wound up messaging the owner and told him, look, this, this just ain't for me. And that does happen, so... And there's no multi-year deals going on in this. It's all just one year. See where you're at. Just, resign. Just one year. Um, I know most people have loyalty to the teams that they're on, and they'll be the ones that always resign, and coaches will never have to worry about them playing for another team. Um, I would think it'd be, it would be pretty wild if they had trades, because I know there would probably be some wicked trades going down in semi-pro. So, this is kind of the last part of it. What is the longest distance you have heard of someone for, like, signing teams? Like, they start in one place, and then all of a sudden they're, like, way over into another place. Or does that not really happen? Um, it doesn't really happen. Um, usually, I mean, obviously you play in the league, so you get a good feeling and knowing of the teams in the areas. Um, so if you, like, want to go to a different team, you can just – you got the car, you got the gas, hey, go drive up and play for them if they want to. It's basically like kind of what I did last year. Um, everyone kind of questioned my decision to leave Auburn and go play up for Rochester, considering I live maybe like 10 minutes away from Holland Stadium. So, but that's where all the respect thing comes in. I mean, I'm willing to drive for my respect, so. All right. No, that's great to hear. That's my, if I could change my senior year quote, that's what it be. Now, uh, I think I got one question for you, Martin. Um, I know you've pretty much played since you were a kid. Do you have any advice for somebody like you played in high school and then graduated and then you went and played like in the Commanders? Do you have any advice for, for like maybe like an Auburn kid, for example, who's going to go and do the same thing? Um, I would definitely tell them that um, you know, definitely put your time and hard work into school. Um, definitely do good on all your subjects. Give college football a shot. I know a lot of people will knock it because of the NCAA, but definitely college football will give you a lot more exposure if you're trying to make the pro leagues than the semi-pro team will. I mean, grades are a number one thing and definitely being athletic and always working out and hitting the gym. That's the biggest thing you want to do if you want to succeed in this football business. Okay. All right. I think it's time to wrap this up, boys. All right. I, I guess that's going to be the end of the episode. So thank you, Martin, for coming on and talking about semi-pro football and, like, you know, all these leagues and stuff and your experiences. It was really – I'm gonna. it's insightful and stuff because you don't really think about it. Oh, yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. Experiences, he says. Uh-oh. What's this? Oh. What? Wait, who's Tony, the chair. You want a real experience for any type of sport. You have to go to the gold standard. Oh. The Ooh. Anthony Fowler. Are... Did Tony oh, just cut a promo? Tony came back with a steel chair right there. Yeah, Tony <laughs> just came back with a steel chair. He's ready to fight, I guess. All right, I guess we will see Barton and Tony at WrestleMania. Oh, uh, uh, no, I got Teddy next year, actually. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh hey. Okay, so find yourself a partner, and my cat and Martin will tag team. I'm 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 volunteering as a party. Yep, yep. I was I was waiting for this opportunity for a long time.
this. This is already confirmed. Let's go. All right. I, I guess I'm commentating at this point because no one's going to. I'll join you. Let's uh, do this. All right. I guess we're doing that. So it is Martin and Hannah's cat, Teddy, versus uh, Tony and Nick. So. Bada boom, bada boom, baby. Bada boom, All right. Well, Going down. Tony, Martin, thank you so much for coming in and talking about both of your activities. <laughs> no activities? Problem. Really? You're not going to say sports? I... I, I was at a loss for words. I'm dehydrated. Yes, talking about sports. <laughs> Hannah, make a light jog to the fridge really quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a beer. Oh, no, that's a problem. Well, that's how we're going to end that. Hannah is out of beer. All right. Oh, yep. no. <laughs> wow, we end on a dilemma. All right. Uh, so thank you to both Tony and Martin for coming on. Uh, you guys want to plug social medias or anything? I know Tony plugged some stuff. Uh, shouted out some wrestlers earlier. Martin, do you got anything to plug? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely hit you up with that. All right, so yeah, put those be, on the ads or something. It will be in the description or on All our right, social there media. we go. So, there you go. Thank you to Tony and Martin, and be sure to look out for the next episode coming up. I don't know what it is, but it will be up. Bada boom, baby. Bada boom, bada boom. All right. See you later, guys. All right. Thank you all for right, listening to end. another episode of the Poorly Written Podcast. Say bye, everyone. Bye. bye. Hannah, you keep doing that. Did I do that again? Yeah, you did. <laughs> I, I really thought I was switching it up this time. No, this, the exact same pitch and everything.